Hi there, and welcome to the Wayback Music Machine podcast. This is the show that takes a lighthearted look at the week that was in rock and roll history. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And Aaron, this is going to be a very special episode. This is road trip number 71. But what do people have to do to find out why this is going to be so special? What they have to do, Tony, is they have to listen to the entire show and maybe... Maybe we should do like the Beatles and put clues and you have to play bits backwards. No, just kidding. <laughs> Listen to the whole show, guys. Keep listening. Yeah, keep listening. And uh, we probably will drop a few clues, but this is road trip number 71. So hold on to your hats and we'll be right back. Now, before we get started, Aaron, I'm sure you noticed that I'm in a different location than normal. Uh, Right now, the bunker, which is the name of my studio, uh, we're in the middle of painting it. So I'm actually recording from the kitchen, which is why uh, the microphone sounds different. And fingers crossed that we won't be interrupted by either one of the animals because we've got the dog and the cat here, but they're both sleeping right now. So we should be okay. I got my cat. Can I just mention, I know people at home can't see this, but there's a beautiful, beautiful painting behind you, Tony. Just stunning. And I, I happen to know who made, who painted the painting. Um, can you just give a shout out? Because that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that was my wife, Cynthia. And uh, she yeah. needs to do more of that for sure. Now that we're retired, she's got to uh, get back into that because she's a, a wonderful painter, actually. That's fantastic. It's really just stunning. So I might steal it when I come over. <laughs> <laughs> she can sign it for you and <laughs> <laughs> not if i steal it you will but well, anyways yeah. well that's right now folks there's going to be a couple of differences today because like i said we've got a, a big announcement coming but uh, we're not gonna reveal it just yet but we're doing a few more stories than normal and they're shorter stories today we're, we're especially focusing on the beatles and we might do an occasional elvis tie-in uh and you'll see why if you listen to the end. So make sure that you do. But where do you want to start, Aaron? What should we do this week? What happened on October 4th, 1969? Well, I think I think we should start with a release, well, actually an album that went to number one in the UK on that day. An album called Abbey Road, which has given, before this album, Abbey Road Studios was just known as EMI Studios. So it's, it's officially given Abbey, Abbey Road Studios its name. But it was a pretty landmark album for many, many, many reasons, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. And you know what I found interesting is that it was only later that the greatness of this album was truly appreciated, don't you think? Well, I guess, yeah, because think about it, right? In 69, it was, I hate, uh, uh, hear me out. It was just another Beatles album. You know, people have come to expect greatness from the Beatles, and they really set the bar high with Pepper I would even say White Album, too. I mean, they kept, they, they, they were doing such good music. And all of a sudden, here's a new Beatle album. And it was like, we take it for granted, kind of the same way we take for granted, you know, oh, there's a new U2 album out or whatever the case may be. But um, years later, I think people looked back and they saw that Abbey Road changed rock, period. I, I and, and we can argue about this, but you look at the impact this album had for prog rock side two of abbey road which is that whole suite of songs with the orchestras and that it's prog rock tony absolutely you agree yeah so and then you got come together and you got you know i want you she's so heavy like an eight minute freak out song so yeah it's everything under one 
proper. <laughs> well, for sure. And side too. I mean, that is basically 16 minutes of uninterrupted music, right? Just from one tune to the other. And I'm just going to go out there, Aaron, and say this. I think that is the greatest ending to an album in rock history. Just, just putting it out there. Nothing comes close. Even even with the little bit of Her Majesty after the the huge the end, and then you get that long, I think it was about 16, 17 seconds of silence, and then just McCartney and an acoustic guitar, Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl. You know that song? Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> which I really wanted to hear on the day that, um, never mind, on her funeral day, but they didn't play it. It's just it, it, from beginning to end of that album, and you got Here Comes the Sun right there. I said it all. That song is, well, it's the most played Beatles song on Spotify, which is which speaks volumes, right? Yeah. So, I guess you could say Abbey Road really is uh, George Harrison's official coming out party as a songwriter too, right? I always thought it was the prequel to All Things Must Pass. I agree with you 1,000%. I always thought it was, a, it was Harrison was letting people know that he had things up his sleeve and he was going to release a three-album set next year that's going to, you know, my sweet Lord, isn't it a pity? Wow. wow. He was just going to bowl people over and it did. Um, but I don't know the people, well, look at Sinatra called something, which is on that. We're going to talk about something in a second, but something, the greatest love song of all time. And I, it's hard to argue that it is a lovely love song, right? Yeah, it is. And it's too bad though, that Sinatra credited it to uh, Lennon and McCartney <laughs> and not Harrison, but I, I wasn't <laughs> going to go there, but thank you. <laughs> Come on, Frank tried. Frank tried. Well, to be he did, there. and he at least good. at least he acknowledged it. And it is what a fantastic love song that is. And so many things about this album have become iconic. Of course, the famous cover, uh, "Walking Across the Street," and that led to all kinds of things, didn't it? This was right at the height of that Paul is dead conspiracy. And there are a million and one supposed clues on this album that Paul was dead and that he was replaced by a stand-in. Um, what are some of those clues? So if you look at the cover, they're walking in a, you know, the line. Paul's out of step, by the way, which was yeah. indicating that, you know, he's, he's out of step because he's dead. Um, so John is dressed all in white. He's the, priest, minister, whatever you want to say. Ringo is in his nice little almost banker's suit. So he's kind of the undertaker. Paul is buried, you know, Paul is uh, just a suit with bare feet. And finally, George, which means he's the corpse, and George is the grave digger. Um, the other one that makes me laugh, always has made me laugh because it's kind of wrong. It was there's a, there's a Volkswagen with a license plate. <laughs> Well, it's true. Yeah, this one is ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous because it's LMW, which stands for was it Lisa or uh, Linda McCartney weeps, but she wasn't. Um, I'm sorry for the dinging. Um, she wasn't married to Paul at the time. She didn't <laughs> get married to Paul till '69. She didn't even know him in '66 when he allegedly died. And the other one is my, my personal favorite is 28F on the Volkswagen. Paul would have been 28 if he had lived. Nope, he wouldn't have been. He would have been 27. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, even the, the the personification of the four of them as, you know, the grave digger and the corpse, uh, very silly. Uh, folks, the actual reason for this is they just did a bunch of photographs. I think they took 12, right? The photographer took about a dozen photographs. 
And they, yeah. they looked at all of them and said, oh, this one's the best. Let's go with that one. That's it. And I'm trying to remember, why did Paul take his shoes off? Probably they were just uncomfortable, right? He was wearing sandals and it was hot. Okay. It was a hot yeah. day. And he just, you know, McCartney does these things. He just, there's a lot of clips of McCartney where he's, you know, on bare feet. He just... I remember, I don't know if you did this, when I was a kid, I used to walk around in bare feet all the time. Oh yeah, me too, me too. You know, so that's, it was, it was nothing planned. It was just, you know, here we go. Um, So the, the cover, but beyond the, the death clues, I think it's one of the finest album covers of all time. Oh, I do too. And it's been often imitated. I mean, there's so many, so many different uh, bands have paid tribute to that and you see it everywhere in pop culture as well. Now, this album, though, we're talking about October the 4th, 1969, and in a second, we'll do your charts as well for this period, but one of the greatest coincidences of all time is coming up as well, but let's do the charts first, and you picked the top five USA albums, and what, what were people listening to? Obviously, they had much better taste. I'm looking at this here now. They had much better taste in 69 than they did in 2019. That's a big hint, but yeah, what were people listening to yeah. in 1969? Well, before we say that, I just want to say very quickly, Time Magazine, when they reviewed Abbey Road, they said it was the best thing the Beatles had done since Sgt. Pepper, which was, at that time, pretty high praise. So good on Time. Um, top five USA albums, according to Billboard Magazine. Number five, one of your favorites, Tony. Blood, Sweat & Tears, their debut album, Blood, Sweat & Tears. Now, can I just put this out there? I think the Beatles. Sure. I think the Beatles kicked off the whole horn rock trend uh, with "Got to Get You Into My Life," and and that spawned all these different bands that said, "Hey, this can actually be a thing." I'm not going to argue. I I agree with you 100. percent Chicago, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. There's a few others that that really incorporated that that I want to say jazz sound, but really that really nice horn section. Right. I love "Got to Get You Into My Life." Oh, me too. Like when you hear that, it just hits you right. This because it's so different. It's so different, yeah. th- that jazzy horn section, and, and, and it's a prequel to what is coming up a couple of years later. And it's interesting, Tony, to your point, it was ahead of its time because it wasn't a hit single until 76. It came out in 66, and it became a top 10 single in 1976. So, I mean, how could that be, right? Yeah, exactly. Number four, The Rolling Stones, one of their numerous greatest hits packages called Through the Past Darkly. I was a bit of a dig. Sorry, boys. Uh, <laughs> number three is a group we talked about, Blind Faith. Yep. Number two, Johnny Cash, live at San Quentin. Number one, oh, love, 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 love this group, and I love the album, Creedence Clearwater Revival and Green River. So that was the top five albums in 1969, which was a far sight better than the top five albums in 2019. But why? we'll talk about that in a minute, Tony. Yeah, let's take a break, and we'll get to this fantastic coincidence. We'll be right back. You know, Tony, sometimes you go back and you listen to the older shows and, uh, well, one goes back and listens to the other shows. And I think we've, we've, we did good shows a year and a half ago and all that, but don't you think we've changed a bit over the time? Like I'm just much like the Beatles. I'm not comparing us to the Beatles, but don't you think we've changed over time? I think we have actually. And, and like, you're right. Uh, this, this really has migrated to being more of almost a radio style show hasn't it yeah the you know the, the key thing missing is just us playing the records so we're talking about which you can listen to on my playlist but it's not quite the same is it no it's not of course for podcasting you can't just throw uh 
tunes in there because you will get sued for copyright violations. But uh, I do feel like we're, we're my definitely the show has migrated in that direction. And it's interesting because that's just an organic kind of evolution that happens and, and very neat to see. Yeah. I don't think it was, wasn't planned. No, not at all. Uh, we're going to see this. This is the best coincidence. I, you know, when I was researching the show this week, I thought we've got to talk yeah. about that because we were October 4th, 1969 and Abbey road went to number one in the UK and guess what? What happened on October the 4th, 2019? Exactly. 50 years to the day later. 50 years to the day. Guess what's number one in the UK? Abbey Road. It was reissued as a box set. Fantastic box set, by the way, with bonus material. I mean, the original album as well, with bonus material. And the original album goes back in the UK to number one, which um, in America, the reissue peaked at number four, which typical Americans, but um, number one, 50 years, which, which is incredible. Uh, it set the record of a gap. And I love this. You put this in the notes, 49 years and 252 days. That was a gap between going number one and then going number one again. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. And, and the fact that, you know, that both times were October the 4th, that is, that's fabulous. Yeah. Well, and it speaks volumes to that the album we had talked about this before our break. It was ahead of its time, and it's still. I think you were you were doing some substitute teaching. You were playing Abbey Road yesterday, weren't you? Or were you just playing the Beatles? Uh, no, I I put on Abbey Road actually. I thought because I knew we were going to be talking about that today, so I thought, you know, I go in once in a while to the high school right down the road from me. It's about a hundred steps. I I told the vice principal there I don't want to be a supply teacher, but if you're ever really stuck, give me a call. And they were really stuck yesterday. So I had to go in and uh, teach math for the day, which I, I sent you uh, that message at lunchtime. I said, you know, one of the kids said, I'm not very good at this stuff. And my reply was, well, I'm not either. <laughs> yeah, join, join the club, bud. Join the club. Yeah, yeah. Honest, honest. You're very honest, Tony. Well, you're allowed to do that when you're retired, you know, and I was just in uh, for the day. But I thought... If I am not going to be able to teach these kids math, at least I'll get them educated. So I put Abbey Road on. And you know what? I was impressed that quite a few of them recognized the song. So that's good. Well, that's a bit of a sigh of relief. But um, it's it's an album that, that even in, tw- in 2019 still sounded new and exciting and fresh compared to, I'm just going to put it out there. You look at the top five in America, and I'm going to tell you that only one, well, maybe two, are the top five even have a career, and then we're talking three years. We're not talking 50. Here's a 50-year-old album. Now, I just want to put this out there, and, and, and if I get really confusing, I apologize. But so if I was a teenager today, right? So when I was a teenager in my day, which would have been, say, 79, a 50-year-old album in 1979 took us back to 1929. So we're talking, first of all, there's no such thing as albums. We're talking Rudy Valley. Yeah, we're right. talking Paul Whiteman and his orchestra. We're not, we're talking maybe the Carter family. But here we are in 2019 buying an album that was 50 years old that held up. Do you follow my train yeah, of thought here? Or? Exactly. Yep. It's a total testament to, uh, you know, that is an, an immortal album. And, and you know what, Aaron? 50 years from now, people are going to still be talking about Abbey Road. 
I agree. I guess they'll be talking. Yeah, I, I couldn't couldn't agree with you more. I think 50 years from now, they'll be they'll be admiring Taylor Swift. No, just kidding. Um, I mean, she's not bad, but, you, you know, it's not the same. And you look at the top five in America, as I said, three of them don't even aren't they just they came and went because they were of the moment. The Beatles and Elvis and the greats, Roxy, whoever else you want to throw in there, Johnny Cash and, and, and you know, they're not of their time because they were just doing music that was was so ingrained in them that it didn't they weren't trying to jump on trends if, no. if you know what i mean well and and i think part of this when you look at this top five list you know there's i'm gonna be totally honest i've only heard of two of them and and I only know anything about one of them here. It's for the most part, this top five list in 2019 is throwaway music. It's disposable music that nobody's compare. You know, nobody's going to be talking about that stuff. We're still talking with stones. We're still talking blind faith. Johnny cash is bigger now than he ever was. I mean, and and John Fogarty just sold out an entire tour of North America doing the hits of CCR. So, you know, Summer Walker could play Toronto and maybe, maybe fill a bar, small one, mm-hmm. very small. So I think you're right. Like, I think it's disposable music. And, and, and I think that's what happened because of streaming and because of downloads and because we've lost, you know, it's become very much background noise. And, um, I mean, there's still great music out there, you know, oh, tons of great Absolutely. Music. There are a ton of great bands and a great art, uh, great artists out there, but, we live in this era of instant gratification and, and of disposable consumable music. Music is regarded nowadays as wallpaper, right? You don't make the decision to consciously listen to music, right? Nowadays it's you're listening to music while you're doing something else, or kids are listening to music while they're playing games on their phone or whatever. It's very, very different. Right. But a hundred percent. And and where do kids learn about music is, is through games and through TV shows like look at look at Kate Bush. Now there's a song from '85 yep. that just topped the American charts for the first time because of a TV show. But does that not speak to the quality of the song? Well, absolutely. And you know what I'm thinking right now? I mean, I I get it. We sound like two grumpy old men, but I think the demographic of our show <laughs> we can get get away with that because I don't think there are a lot of teenagers listening right now. So, well, and if there are, please write us and tell us we're wrong. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, exactly. I, I, I would. You know, that famous line, and, and you as a teacher will appreciate it, when Principal Skinner is talking to the teachers at um, Springfield School, and he says, you know, and he's got the, the loudspeaker on by mistake, and he says, like, none of these kids are going to amount to anything. <laughs> and the kids <laughs> got a groan, and he says, prove me wrong, kids. Prove me wrong. <laughs> and you know what? I'm going to drop a homerism here since you brought up The Simpsons. This, well, You can read this top five list in a second, but, you know, this this top five list, Reminds me of a Homer Simpson's quote. You know, it's not just good. It's good enough. (laughs) (laughs) I think we could do an entire show. You and I riffing off the top. Like just quoting the Simpsons. And why not? Right. Yeah. So what's on the list here? Let's read this off. Taylor Swift is at number five with her classic album lover. Um, Number four. And I don't hate Taylor Swift. I think she's got some, she's actually quite talented, but, um, but uh, again, you know, uh, number four is uh, Da Baby with an album called Kirk. And I had to do that twice because I kept thinking maybe the artist is Kirk, but it's no, actually it's Da Baby. 
and this, the album is called Kirk. Classic album, classic. It's just, it's, you know. Number three, I'm going to be transparent, folks. I know Post Malone's name because he just canceled a whole bunch of shows. Oh, okay. Um, so Post Malone is a number three with Hollywood's Bleeding. Two is a Summer Walker uh, with a song, or an album, sorry, called Over It. I think people are over Summer Walker. And number one, Super M, the first mini album. Who the hell is Super M? Anyways. Uh, well, you know um, what? It beats me. But uh, this looks like a good time for a break. And when we come back, we're going to do another Beatles story. And again, there's a reason for this, folks. So stick around. We'll be back in a moment. So do you think there's ever been a more turbulent, change-filled decade than the 1960s, really? I think the 1840s. No, just kidding. Um, no, no. I mean, you. how can you com- look where music started in 1960 and look where it ended up in 1970? Incredible, right? Yeah. And look at what, you know the societal changes, uh, everything that happened, the civil rights movement, you name it. But let's take a look at a moment uh, on October the 6th. We've got two dates here for you. We've got 1962 and 1969, and this is going to illustrate exactly what we're talking about. Huge changes. So the Beatles, what did they release in 1962, Aaron? They released their debut single, um, Love Me Do, backed with P.S. I Love You, produced by George Martin. Yeah, and you know, you take a look, Love Me Do is a great song, a little bit of uh, harmonica playing in there by John at the beginning, but this is a very traditional pop song, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know, uh, verse, chorus, middle eight, verse, chorus, out. You know, nothing really groundbreaking about this song. And yet, seven years later, in 1969, we've got George Harrison writing the song that Sinatra said was the greatest love song, you know, of, of all time or uh, something. And that was released as an A side, right? Uh, and and what was on the B side of that? Or was it a double A? Is that what they did? It was a no. Something was on the A side, and B side was come together, um, which is funny because it's the first two tracks off Abbey Road reversed. Harrison's first A side uh, as a as a single with the Beatles was something. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there again. I mean, John and Paul, obviously, you know, recognizing what a great song that George had written here. I I think. Do you have a standout track on that album on Abbey Road for you? Is there one that is like heads and shoulders above the others? For me, it's "You Never Give Me Your Money." Um, I I love that song. I, I think uh, it's in three minutes and forty seconds. Paul McCartney gives the history of rock and roll. Um, he really does. If you listen to it with that in your mind, you hear the original, just kind of classical. Then it goes into a bit of boogie woogie. Then it goes into mm-hmm. rock and roll. You know, it's it's. I'm sorry about the dinging, folks. Um, it's just class. It's a it's a class act. What about you? What's your very favorite track off that album? Well, I think I've got to say the Harrison track "Something" is probably my favorite. But that's a great point about. Uh, the McCartney tune on the B side. Uh, I mean, the whole medley at the end is, is unbelievable. Oh, I, I, you know, golden slumbers. If you can, if I can get through golden slumbers and they're getting teary, it's yeah. a miracle. Cause you know, once there was a way to get back homeward, what, a, what a line. Yeah. It's fantastic. Wow. What a, what a, how do you listen to that line? And, and 
on contrary to the cover, he was only 27 when he comes up with that. 27 years old, I mean, you know. Yeah, so there there you go, folks. W- within seven years, you look at the seven, difference. Seven years, Tony. Seven years. You know, and you look at the societal changes in seven years. Look at the picture, the pictures of the Beatles in 1962, and look at pictures of the Beatles in 1969, and, and they're not even recognizable. They're like different people. And they're not even 30 yet. They're still young. They're like these kids, and they're not recognizable. Uh, and And, you know, I always thought, if you look at if you look at the, the big bursts, the big bangs, 54, 64, and all that, I always thought, you know, it would make a fascinating radio show to talk about how music and society changed. Because I don't know, they went hand in hand. One influenced the other, if you know what I mean, backwards and forwards. Well, yeah, there, there's you know so I mean? much so much great music in that period and so much music that, that shapes society. Um incredible, incredible. Now you're I'd like to go over your charts because uh Obviously, there's a little bit of an Elvis connection in here, and we're talking mostly about the Beatles today, but we're tying into Elvis a little bit for a specific reason. So you have the top five albums in the UK, and this is in 1962, and this is an interesting list. So what are they? Well, and and before I do the five albums, you put in the notes something I just want to just put out there. That Love Me Do was released in 1962 on October 6th. And George Martin said it was the day the world changed. And I don't think he was wrong. No, I don't think he was wrong either. He saw something there for sure. I'm just going to raise that flag. The top five albums in the UK on that day were a guy named Joe Brown and his band of brothers, uh, Picture of You. He became a very good friend of George Harrison. And if you watch the concert for George, he ends the concert by singing, I'll see you in my dreams. Um, Number four, I, I have this on vinyl, original Mono pressing. Elvis Presley, potluck. Um, number three, Lonnie Donegan, The Golden Age of. There's an album uh, that I think you would like, Tony. Kenny Ball, Chris Barber, and Acker Bilk, The Best of. Yep, Acker Bilk, the, the famous British clarinetist, of course. And full disclosure, folks, Tony has a Chris Barber album that, you know, when I come visit, it may disappear. Um, <laughs> I've got lots of Chris Barber <laughs> albums, actually. So, Well, there's one specifically. <laughs> yeah, it's got a McCartney tune on it, doesn't it? Yeah. And McCartney. He plays bass on it. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, number one, soundtrack to... Oh, I'm so sick of soundtracks. Number one, uh, the West Side Story soundtrack. Um, but number one EP in England at the time was Elvis Presley, Follow That Dream. Yep. So 62, you know, Elvis never went anywhere. He uh, obviously did his two year stint in the military from 1958 to 1960, but he was still hanging around in a big way in the early sixties. Now, if we fast forward, uh, there's some great stuff in here. 1969. Um, you, I want to talk about that version uh, that was released in Canada because that you put in the notes, cause that's, that's fascinating. So just tell us about that. Yeah, so when something was released in uh, only in Canada, folks, when, when 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 something was released here in Canada, they made a boo boo, and they pressed up copies with "Come Together." Now, if you know the Apple label, um, the A side was the full Apple, and the B side was the Apple cut in half. So there's actually copies exist with "Come Together" on the A side, and something on the B side, and it only happened in Canada, and it was a day thing. It was literally there used to be a. a, a record pressing plants in Smith Falls and they pressed up a few hundred and then someone said you made a mistake so they were quickly destroyed and they redid them with something on the A side and come together on the B side 
But a few hit the record stores. A few of these copies have come together. And I've got one. Oh, I was going to ask same. if you had one. Yeah, I figured you would, yeah. Yeah, well, you know me, right? <laughs> but it's, uh, it's very rare, and I'm very glad to have it. Now, so we yeah, have, we have to do a fact-finding mission when you come visit me next week because I only live, you know, 20 minutes from Smith Falls, actually. So I wonder if that plant is still around or it is, but it's not a record. It's a it's a different kind of factory now. And actually, if you if you go to it, they have a little plaque up because I was actually they pressed all the RCA records, which would have been Elvis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because the Beatles are so huge in the '60s, Capitol Records had to use the pressing plants for RCA records and Columbia Records to press up the records because there was, they couldn't meet the demand. Well, let's we should go on a little drive to Smith Falls. Yeah, and because I think I know which building it is. I I, I was in Smith Falls the other day actually, but. Uh, yeah, so now look at this, folks. Let's go over the top five Canadian singles uh, people listening to in 1969. And, and this, this is a, a great list. I, I love some of these songs here. So what, what were we listening to in Canada? Number five was um, Bobby Sherman, uh, Little Woman. Number four, this is full disclosure, one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, Oliver, the singer's name is Oliver. The song is called Jean, and it was the theme song to the prime of Miss Jean Brody. Um, do you know the song? I do actually. Yeah. And so you're, was it on Spotify? Are you able to get it on the list? I did. I, I just, I love the song. Um, number three was the Rolling Stones, Honky Tonk Woman. I love that song. Two. That's one of my faves oh, actually. Classic, right? It's classic. Yeah. Uh, number two is the Rolling Stones, Honky Tonk Woman. Yeah. Number three is the Honky Tonk Woman. Number two, Green River, Green's Clearwater Revival. Now, quick story, very quick. John Fogarty did a song called The Old Man Who Lives Down the Road, was actually sued by himself. Yes. Because <laughs> he didn't own the he didn't own the publishing rights. So someone else owned the publishing rights to Green River and sued Fogarty for plagiarism for old man down the road. <laughs> yeah, that was ridiculous, wasn't it? He was being sued basically for sounding too much like himself. Yeah, which oh my gosh. We could do a whole show on that. Yeah. Uh and number one, we talked about this before, Archie's Sugar Sugar. Elvis had just entered the charts with his new single at the time called Suspicious Minds. One of my favorites by Elvis. Yeah. And number 20, Tony, our friend Billy Preston, but that's the way God planned it. And on Apple Records. On Apple Records. Yes, sir. That's fantastic. Well, listen, let's take a short break, Aaron, and we've got one final segment and then we'll do our big reveal. So stick around, folks. We'll be right back. Now we're going to go ahead a little bit. Uh, we're going to be in New York City here in the 70s and 80s. And again, there's a very specific reason we're doing this, folks. So stick around because we're rounding third and we're heading for home here today. <laughs> a little Aaron, I know you're a baseball guy, so I thought you'd appreciate that. I sure am. We're getting hey, ready to Blue do Jays. Yeah, they made the playoffs. First day, first game is tomorrow, right? Yep, tomorrow night. Excellent. Tomorrow afternoon. Yeah. So. John Lennon, of course, had been living in New York City for most of the 70s. And in 1976, something monumental happened on October the 7th, 1976. And I think John thought that this might never happen, but he finally got his green card, his permanent residency residency status at a hearing in New York. And man, the government did not like Lennon at all, did they? Oh my gosh, no. And if, if you ever have the time, 
or the inclination. There's a, a book written by his lawyer, a guy named Leon Wilds, who defended him from 1971 to the day he got his green card. And it's a phenomenal read because it's it's just and it's not legal jargon. It's just a it's just an incredible, incredible story um, about what happened and how it happened and, and, and just what the government did. It's and it will make you angry. It'll yeah, make you angry. It's amazing how fearful Richard Nixon was of John oh. Lennon, you know, uh, and for good reason. Right. Lennon uh, exerted a tremendous amount of influence in the seventies and people listen to him and you know, there's one thing the government at the time did not want was people thinking for themselves. Did they? Well, no. And they were worried that Lennon had the ear of the youth and he did, uh, especially the, I mean, look, we're talking about a song like imagine that it, it peaked at number three in America because it was banned of several radio stations because it was quote communist. Mm-hmm. Um, Lennon, you know, I mean, it's, it's not, and it's not anti-religion. It's not anti anything. It's imagine, just imagine. So yeah, he was, he was a threat. And then, um, you know, he released an album called sometime in New York city, which in the early days before Photoshop, they actually had president Nixon and chairman Mao dancing together naked, which was one of the funniest pictures you'll ever see. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> But Nixon, Nixon really hated Lennon, and um, so you, you know what? I, 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 I can't high, I can't recommend this book high, high enough. It's called I forget what it's called, but it's by Leon Wilds, and he was his lawyer, and he writes a great story, and he also talks about how scared Lennon was. Lennon oh. was terrified. Lennon, Lennon thought this was going to destroy his life, his career, his marriage, everything. So, well, he knew. It's he, a great book. Yeah, he knew he was being followed too. I mean, they they didn't hide that fact. I think that's the worst part of it all, right? No. And and one of the funniest things, Tony, I have to tell you, is in the book they they show actual telegrams or or memos sent to Nixon. And now, if you buy the album sometime in New York City, the lyrics are on the front cover. However, this person sends a memo saying, "I've heard the new John Lennon song." And in the song, he says, and he quotes all this stuff. It's all wrong. And all he had to do was literally go to a record store, buy the album, and the lyrics were there. He misquotes the entire song. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's just like, when, it's, it's not funny, but it is, you know? Well, and you know what? I'm just thinking, I just had a thought here that this is, what, 1976, right? We're talking about governments not wanting people to think for themselves. How little has changed now? in 2022 it's very very sad yeah i think it has gotten worse as well now we got to jump forward to another big lennon moment we'll just touch on this briefly but october the 9th um, in 1985 this would have been john's 45th birthday and yoko ono she formally opened a, a three and a half acre garden in strawberry fields uh, that's a site in New York's Central Park. And I've been there a few times. Um, I think I told you I just missed Yoko yeah. uh, by about two minutes one time when I was there. But um, it gives you, I, I love visiting Strawberry Fields, one of my favorite places to visit. I can't believe you just, you could have met Yoko if you just gone two minutes earlier, Tony. That would have been amazing, actually. <laughs> yeah. But still, yeah, it's a beautiful place, isn't it? And you can see the Dakota. If you stand there, you can actually see the Dakota where John lives. So, yeah. You know, and I can tell you when I, because a couple of times that I was there, I was on high school band trip taking kids there. And they said, all of them said that was a highlight for them. Because the whole story, like you see, 
you, you can just see it. Uh, I'm not going to mention the uh, killer's name because I don't think he deserves to be mentioned, but it's all there. You, you realize how close it is to the Dakota and, and how brash that was to just walk out in the middle of the street and just do what he did. Right. Yeah. It's well, as you say, it's so it's a, it's a terrible, but it's also New York. It is a beautiful place. So it, it, Yoko turned a very, ugly place to a very beautiful place not yes. central park but the the scene of what happened there you know yeah and and strawberry i mean if you haven't been to strawberry fields folks take the time to visit it if you're ever in new york city it is uh, it's a wonderful place and that speaking of wonderful here's segue time aaron i'm we've got some big news and so should i insert a uh, a drum roll we've been dropping hints about this all all show but uh, <laughs> do you want me to insert the drum roll here yeah, I think you should. I think it deserves a drum roll, if not. Okay, I, I will find an excellent drum roll sound effect. So drum roll, please. So big news time. Tony and I, besides becoming the best of friends over the last little while, have developed a way of working together. And one of the ways we work together is that we've 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 grown as, as announcers or talkers or whatever you want to call it. And we think we've grown to a point where this might make for interesting radio. Would you not agree, Tony? I would agree. And that leads us to our big announcement. Uh, do you want to do it yes. or do you want me? I, I think it should be you because you know what? I'm so thrilled. So it's, it's up. I think go for it, my friend. So here's the big news, folks. Aaron and I are doing a radio show together. We work so well together. We've discovered that we always thought we should be on radio and we are actually getting picked up. We're working on a radio show. It's not this show. We're going to continue to do this. Uh, but we are working on a radio show called From Memphis to Merseyside. We always said that segment felt like it would be a great opportunity to do. We're calling it what? A social history show, aren't we? It's going to be a, a social history. Yep. A social history show with music on the radio and in fact we've already found out our first station that's going to be picking up the show is bombshell radio in toronto and no doubt there's going to be other ones picking it up as well because we're working actively on that now so that is our big announcement uh, from memphis to merseyside hosted by the two of us is going to be on the radio and i can't wait and, then, and being on the radio means we can actually play the songs. So Tony and I can talk about the songs and music and the social history. And and, um, and you get to hear the music firsthand. And you can hear us, you know, kind of put it in context. Because music exists not in a vacuum, but in a context. So I'm very excited. And I, I, I got to be honest... Just the, the, the ability to work with Tony on more things makes me so happy. So, oh, yeah. likewise, I, my friend. So exciting. Yeah, so likewise. Exciting. I can't wait to work with you on this one. And, you know, that'll be that'll mean we're, we're basically going to work just about every day because we're going to be putting out a weekly show for that as well. Doesn't it feel like a huge relief to finally say it? Yeah, we've been planning this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Tony, full disclosure, I, and I hope this isn't a deal breaker with you, but we are not. I want to stress this. We are not playing Pat Boone on the show. Okay, uh, done. <laughs> That's in our contract. No Pat Boone. <laughs> Probably the first show I'll play Pat Boone. No, just kidding. I'm not playing Pat Boone. <laughs> yeah, there will be no Pat Boone on this show. Sounds good. So, folks, there's our big announcement. So, 
if you enjoy what we do on this podcast, we will certainly forward you details when the show is ready for air. It won't be very long, actually, and it's just very exciting. In the immortal words of the Beatles, in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Thanks for listening.